Well, if you'd open up your Bibles with me, we're going to begin in John chapter 12. We'll see if we'll finish John chapter 12 today. We'd like to, but we'll see what time permits. But as we take a look at, at John chapter 12, we're coming into some incredible time. You know, it's, it's, it's so interesting to me as I, as I put together uh, the various messages when we do Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And Wednesday night we're in Exodus, and Sunday night we're in Daniel, and Sunday morning we're in John, and then this morning I watch them all come together. I watch what we studied on Wednesday night in Exodus come to fruition in John chapter 12, and what we're about to study in Daniel in about a week coming to fruition in John chapter 12, all coming together. just shows us that we're on track, we're doing what God's called us to do, and all the pieces are falling into place. Well, as we take a look, you'll remember last time, John chapter 11, that Jesus had left, he had gone 15 miles away. The Passover was coming. Now, the Passover that's coming, folks, this is the Passover where Jesus will be crucified. And so, he's just looking at the shadow of the cross before him. He's 15 miles away, and it says... In chapter 12, verse 1, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead, uh, where, where Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. And they made him a supper. And Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Look, when we look at this, we see such a great picture of the body of Christ. And let me explain to you how that is. First off, we have to have Martha's. If we don't have Martha's, let me tell you what happens. Church don't get clean. The, the bathrooms don't get put together. The food don't get cooked. People don't get fed. Things don't move forward. You have to have Martha's. What was Martha's problem before? You remember? She was serving and she was cranky about it. She was serving and she was upset because other people weren't doing what she thought they ought to do. What did God say to her? Listen. Mary has chosen a better way, and I'm not going to tell her to do something different. But he didn't tell Martha to do something different either. Because Martha is a servant. And serving is what she does. What was her problem? Complaining while she did it. Serving is necessary. And so we see here, what is Martha doing? She's not complaining. She knows, this is my place in the body. This is what I do. I serve. And so, Martha's serving, fulfilling that part. What was Lazarus doing? Lazarus is just sitting at the table with Jesus, breathing. <laughs> he don't need to do much more than that, does he? Last week, he was dead for four days. So, he's just hanging out. What do you call that? I call that being a witness. Isn't that what he's being? Think about it. We were once dead. Now we're alive in Christ. What does he call us to be? A witness. And what is Lazarus doing? He's just, he's just being there. He's just reflecting the truth of what Jesus had done in his life. He's there. And, the, and we're going to see people wanted to kill Lazarus just because he was alive. And sometimes that's the way the world is, isn't it? But Lazarus was being that witness. He didn't have some big flowery speech. He was just being there, being who Jesus had called him to be, and he was reflecting what God had done in his life. Then look at verse 3. Mary. We're going to see Mary at the foot of Jesus. You see Mary of Bethany at Jesus' feet three times. Three times. In good times, 
in bad times, and this time right before Jesus' death. And I want you to consider something when you look at Mary of Bethany. None of the disciples got it. How many times did Jesus say to the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die? How many times did he say they're going to destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again? He over and over again was emphasizing the fact that he had come to die. But none of the disciples got it. Ladies, have you ever been talking to your husband and you can tell he's just not listening? You're talking to him, but you know, the eyes are glossed over and it's, all he's hearing is like Charlie Brown and that teacher, huh? You know what I mean? And then you call him on it, right? What did I just say? Oops. I wasn't listening again. That's probably how Jesus felt dealing with the disciples. But listen, I, want, I don't want you to miss the fact that Mary, she got it. She understood what Jesus was doing. And Jesus tells us that right here. In verse 3, Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. This, folks, is what happens when we worship. Don't you love it when we get a chance to come together and worship and just open up your heart to the Lord? There's a variety of ways we do it. We set aside the entire time on Sunday morning to worship. Sometimes by song, we spend time in the Word, we spend time in fellowship. All those things are an act of worship to the Lord. But look what happened to Mary when she worshipped Jesus. She first gave all that she had. Costly oil of spikenard. It would take hundreds of plants to make the amount of oil that she had. That's why it would cost 300 denarii in today's Money somewhere between 30 and 40 grand. That's what this oil would have cost her. And she poured it out on Jesus' feet. And she wiped his his feet with her hair. What happened when Mary left? She smelled like Jesus. What happened in the house? The whole house was filled with the fragrance of our Lord. When we worship, that's why the psalmist said, how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Because when we dwell together in unity, you know what happens? We have that fragrance, that beautiful aroma, God calls it. That sweet-smelling aroma of, of, of our worship to Him. God loves that. And so when Mary worships, she leaves smelling like Jesus. The whole house is, is smelling like Him. That's what worship is all about. Scripture goes on then to tell us, but one of the disciples, Judas of Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why? In biblical theology, there is a study called the study of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is how to properly interpret the Word of God. There are certain rules that people have put together so that you don't just grab something from one place and shove it in another place and say, this is what it means. And one of those rules of hermeneutics is the first time something is mentioned, that holds the, the, the meat of what defines whatever's being spoken of. The first time, for example, love is used. It's the love of a father to his son. Interesting, huh? Like the love of God for his son. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We see that picture in Genesis 22. We see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the Father. So the first time something's mentioned really holds something about the character of of that thing or that person. Listen, the very first word of Judas, you just read it. Why? 
Judas said, why was this fragrance used and not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Why didn't we use this to feed people? Why didn't we use this for something else? It's interesting. He didn't really care about the poor. The Bible tells us, right? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And whatever was put in the money box, he took out of it. But Jesus said to him, leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of what? My burial. Folks, we are less than one week from the crucifixion. It is well-known fact that the oil of spikenard, the fragrance, would last for two weeks. Now listen, if you were to close your eyes and in a few short days go to the Garden of Gatshmone, Gethsemane, and you came down to the place where Jesus was praying and sweating great drops of blood, if you just closed your eyes and you breathed in, what would you smell? beautiful smell that sweet aroma that fragrance and then a few hours later if you went to the top of a place called Golgotha you didn't look at what you saw because then you'd forget everything about what was going on but if you just would breathe in you would smell that sweet smelling aroma see Mary got it She anointed Jesus for his burial. And wherever he went, that aroma came with him. The Lord would say that the sacrifice that Jesus made came up to God as a sweet-smelling aroma. And if you and I were there, we could have smelt it too. Because of an act of worship that Mary did. Well, what about Judas? Well, all Judas could do was complain and say, why? Why isn't it like this? Or why isn't it like that? He wasn't even part of the family, right? He's just a pretender. He wasn't for real. And we see that same thing going on in, in, in the body even still today. Many times the people who complain the loudest are following a different example in the Scripture. Remember? Martha served, she learned to serve with joy. Judas, he never learned that. He just learned to complain. And to ask, why? Why? Well, in verse 8, Jesus said, For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. I am not going to be here. Mary got it. She understood. Disciples didn't get it. Glassy-eyed. They're missing it. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Why? What'd he do? Man, he is evidence that Jesus is the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. You didn't just go... When's the last time you saw someone raised from the dead? Been a while, hasn't it? Yeah? How do you argue with a guy who shows up at a funeral and raises the dead? There's the raised guy there. He don't even have to say anything. That's how it was with Jesus. Jesus didn't have to say a word. Lazarus spoke just being alive. Just being made alive. They wanted to kill him. Wipe out the evidence. Make sure that he would never be able to be that evidence for anyone else. Because on account of him, look at this, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. 
they came to believe. Now the next day, a great multitude had come to the feast when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And they took branches off of palm trees and they went out to meet Him and they cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus, when He had found a young donkey, sat on it as was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. If you just keep your finger here, turn to the left. We're going to go to Luke chapter 19. If you roll over to Luke chapter 19, I just want to share, Luke kind of builds on this, this whole day a little bit more. Now, beginning in verse 36, Now, as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why did they say that? Because, folks, the psalms that they were singing to Jesus were messianic psalms. Hosanna means save now. They were calling out, they were declaring Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the coming King, as the promised one. And it's interesting because, folks, I don't want you to miss this, every other time they tried to do this with Jesus, he'd said, shh, don't say nothing. Except for this day. What was so different about this day? All of a sudden, Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees, I tell you, if these would keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And then when he saw the city coming, you're coming down the hill, you can see Jerusalem in front of you, as he saw the city of Jerusalem laid out before him, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that are made for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. What was Jesus talking about? Well, keep a finger there. Since you have five of them, we'll go someplace else. <laughs> go with me to Daniel chapter 9. And we'll talk briefly about probably the greatest prophecy written in the Scriptures. Beginning at verse 25. We won't get too far into it, but I'll try to give you an overview of it. The prophecy goes like this. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. What's he talking about? Listen. He uses 77s. He's talking about a hepstead. We have a decade. We understand a decade, right? How long is a decade? Ten years. A hepstead for the Jew is like a decade, only it's seven. So a hepstead is seven years. So there will be seven hepsteads, seven seven-year periods of time, and 62 seven-year periods of time. Listen to what he said. Did you hear in the beginning? No one understand. From the going forth to rebuild Jerusalem, 
from the time that decree is made until the Messiah comes. He's telling us when he's coming. He's going to break it down for us. Guys, if we do the math, there are four decrees to go and rebuild in Jerusalem. Three of them were about the temple. Only one of them was to rebuild the city. That came on March 14th, 445 B.C., and you can read about it in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It took 49 years to rebuild the street. That's why he said there will be seven weeks, 49 years, and then the street will be built again. And then he separates it, seven, 49 years, and 62. 62 years. That's 434 years. To give you the, the easy version, instead of going crazy, it comes up to 183,880 days from March 14th, 445 B.C. to the day Messiah will present himself to the nation as Messiah. It was the 10th of Nisan, 32 A.D., April 6th. That's what we've just been reading about. The day Jesus walked into Jerusalem, April 6, 32 A.D., 183,880 days, just like Daniel said, till he would come. That's why Jesus said, if only you understood that this is the day. When the scripture said, this is the day that the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. That's the day he was talking about. The day of the Messiah. But you see, it was just words on a page, man. They just grew up. They read it. The Bible became a textbook to them. They look at Daniel chapter 9, and yeah, who can really know or who can really understand? And, and they just never applied themselves to know. But look what else Daniel said. We'll just leave Daniel here in just a second. So we have 62 in seven weeks, 69 weeks. And the street will be built in in troublesome times. Nehemiah tells us that they built the wall with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be karat. Cut off. The Hebrew word means given the death penalty. The Messiah will be given the death penalty. But look what it says. But not for himself. It won't be his death penalty. Whose is it? It's ours. It'll be ours. And the people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come is the Antichrist, the people of that prince will destroy the city. And the end will be a dispersion. And Israel will cease to be a nation. We don't have to ask. 70 A.D., Titus of the Roman army came in and laid waste to Israel destroying the temple And there was a great dispersion. Now, if we just flip back over to Luke. Let's finish our thought there in Luke. As Jesus is looking over the city, the Scriptures tell us that that He uh, weeps over it. He says, if only you had known, even you, especially this your day, the things that make for your peace, but they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. And they will level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know what? The time of your visitation. God held them responsible to know what Daniel told them. And in 70 AD, the nation 
was destroyed because the Bible was just words on a page. It wasn't real. They weren't applying it. They weren't taking it. They weren't, they weren't looking for it in that way. So, we, see, we, we go back to, to John chapter 12 for a moment. We come back to John chapter 12. It says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. When Jesus was glorified. Many times folks will say, hey, you know, I'm having a hard time and I'm, I'm, I'm having a difficult time understanding and realizing and remembering things. But I go to this verse because it says the disciples didn't understand because Jesus wasn't glorified. Jesus glorified in your life? The disciples didn't understand because on the day of Pentecost they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit would come and bring to our remembrance all the things that we've studied. We have that. Holy Spirit is with us, wanting to help us, wanting to lead us, wanting to teach us, wanting us to understand. Get hungry to devour the Word and learn it and know it. All those things are taking place. That's going on. Is Jesus glorified? Because the other part of that story is when Jesus was glorified, how was He glorified? On the cross. When Jesus was glorified, then they understood. Therefore, the people who were with Him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. And the Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, You see, you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. The whole world's following Jesus. What? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Now, what you don't hear, what John doesn't tell us, right then, is Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem... They proclaim him, and he allowed them to proclaim him as the Messiah. On that day, the 10th of Nisan, get in your mind, at the exact same time, coming down that same hill into Jerusalem, at the exact same time, 10,000 lambs were being brought to the temple. 10,000 lambs and Jesus in the midst of them. The Lamb of God. You see, on the 10th of Nisan, according to the book of Exodus, all of the lambs would be brought to the high priest and would be examined for four days. And if they were found to be without fault or without blemish, then they would be slain as a sacrifice. Four days they would be examined. What happened with Jesus? At the end of His examination, what did they declare? Pilate said what? I find no fault in Him. A lamb without blemish, yet he is slain. It ties together, folks, Exodus, Daniel, and John. All part of God's plan, moving through the Scriptures, bringing everything to fruition. So as Jesus comes into the temple, he cleanses it again. He goes into the temple that was there for the Gentiles, the, the court of the Gentiles. And they're buying and selling and trading lambs, and it's all this chaos and he sees over here on the side some Greeks who can't worship. That's the only place they can go to pray, but that's the place where they were doing all their business. So he goes in there and cleanses it. Second time. First time he came, he cleansed it. Last time he comes in, he cleanses it. And then, and we see in verse 20, now there were certain Greeks among those who had come to worship. And they came to Philip 
who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered and said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. But now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven cried out, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The Greeks come, they want to see Jesus, and Jesus gives this little speech. What's that all about? Folks, Jesus is saying to the Gentiles, you will only see me in light of the cross. It's not time for me to talk to you right now. I'm going to the cross. But you'll see me in light of the cross. The Son of Man will give His life. He says if anyone loves his life, there's a Hebrew idiom that speaks of love and hate, and it's all about what you choose. If you choose something, you love it. If you don't choose it, you hate it. It's a Hebrew idiom for choice. Jesus says if you choose your life and what's important to you, then you're going to lose it. But if you don't choose your life, if you don't choose to focus on self and be inwardly focused and instead you're outwardly focused, you're focused on the Lord, you give your life away, then Jesus says that's where you'll find it. That's where you'll find it. And it'll be on the cross. It'll be in that place. The people who stood by and heard it, they they said it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. But Jesus said... This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about being lifted up like that brass pole, the brass serpent. Lifted up. When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Why? Because the world is being judged at that moment. What part of the world? Sin, sin, the ruler of this world, sin is being destroyed at the cross. Satan is being defeated. He will be powerless. It will be done. It will be finished. Time is short. Hey, things are going to be winding to a close because Jesus paid the price. He became the lamb just like God promised Abraham in Genesis 22. God said Abraham said to his son, God will provide himself a lamb. God will become the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This is what Jesus is speaking of. This he said, signifying by the death that he would die. And the people said, but we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title. His favorite, can you imagine God's favorite title being Son of Man? Listen, Son of Man means that the Word became flesh. That God Almighty became a man. At the same time, the the Scriptures teach He was still God, 
But his favorite title is Son of Man that speaks of the fact that he came to wear our shoes, to walk the roads we walk, to deal with the things we deal with. That was his favorite title. That was the thing he loved most, people call him, the Son of Man, because it speaks of the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. But they said, hey, I thought the, I thought the Scripture said that the Christ would live forever. Well, guess what? The Scriptures do say that. They do. What's the problem? Well, they were ignoring Daniel chapter 9. They were ignoring Psalm 22. They were ignoring Isaiah 53. You don't get to just pick your favorite verses. You can't just pick the verses like Romans 8, 28. We like that, right? For all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. Wow, we like that verse, but we probably don't put on our refrigerator all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Or many are the afflictions of the righteous. We don't like to put those things on, but those are just the same kind of promises. They didn't want to consider the fact that the Christ was to die, but way back in Genesis chapter 3, God told them that's how it would be. In Psalm 22, in Genesis 22. But they didn't want to see it. They didn't believe the word, so they hardened their heart and their eyes were blinded. Look what he says. Jesus said, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Thus, the word of Isaiah the prophet was fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? We got another finger. Let's go look at it. Isaiah 53. Some would call Isaiah 53 the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? By the way, the arm of the Lord was a symbol of salvation. His arm is not short that he can't save. When they talked about the arm of the Lord, they are talking about God's salvation. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we would desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we turn every one to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears are silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. 
And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressor, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah wrote that almost a thousand years prior. Speaking of the work of the Messiah. But they said... The Christ is going to live forever. They didn't understand the Scripture taught two comings. The first time as a sacrifice, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. The first time as the Lamb of God. The second time as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The first time He comes as the Lamb. The second time as the Lion. The first time He comes not to judge. The second time He comes to judge. But they, they didn't see. They didn't recognize. They didn't appreciate. And so... They didn't believe the word. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. What's he talking about, folks? Listen, they, because they wouldn't believe the word, they made a choice. I don't believe what the word says, so God, turn them over. The Bible says, the Lord has declared, I exalt my word above all my name. The name of God was so reverent to the, to the Jewish people that they would only write the consonants. The Y-H-V-H. V or W, they're the same letter in Hebrew. Y-H-V-H. That's it. Yahweh, Yehovah. Nobody knows. All they had was the consonants. They'd get a new pen, new ink, change their clothes, take a bath. Every time they wrote His name. And God said, what? I exalt all my word above all my name. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word? Revelation 19 says, when Jesus returns, He has a name written on His thigh, the Word of God. Believe the word that God gives us. They didn't believe. So the Lord turned them over. And their hearts were hardened and their eyes were blinded lest they would see. Lest they would understand with their heart and turn so that I should heal them. Listen, <clears throat> I know we're getting finger exercise, but we're going to go look. Isaiah chapter 6. But as you're going over there, listen to this last verse. Verse 41. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. These things Isaiah said when he saw Jesus. So we go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Scripture goes on then to declare in verse 9, And he said, Go and tell this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Now, back in John, these things Isaiah said when he saw Jesus. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who's John talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. The Bible tells us the fear of man is a snare. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When we live our life according to the fear of man, we'll act like these guys. There is Jesus. They have an opportunity to make a stand. To make a stand. To, to not be weak-kneed, spineless, jellyfish Christians. But to be sold out, trusting, abiding, no compromised disciples. Man, they had a chance. But they didn't do it. Why? Because they were afraid of men. And if we were honest, we could all... Say, we've stood right there with them before. We did not bear witness to the truth because we were afraid of what man would say or do. Well, these guys were the same. Nothing has changed, but listen. Jesus cries out and says, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. That means belief in the Son is also what? Belief in the Father. You can't separate the two. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. When we look at Jesus, who do we see? We see God. Almighty God. The Father. God Almighty in Him. I have come a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Folks, that word judge is a word krino. means to condemn. When he's talking about judgment here, he's not talking about judging whether or not something is right or wrong. He's talking about declaring judgment upon a person to condemn them for their sin. He said, I haven't come to condemn I've come to save. He told us in, earlier in the Gospel of John, right? What did he say? He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. And he said, and this is the condemnation of the world. 
that light came into the world, but men loved the darkness instead of the light. They loved the darkness. That word for love, remember, is agapeo. It's a self-sacrificing love. Men would sacrifice themselves to the darkness rather than walk in the light. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge, to condemn, but to save. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in that last day. The word is true, living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God, still pertinent, still relevant today. It's not just, you know, a great book to read. It's not just full of good teachings. It is the very Word of God. His plan of redemption His strength given to us, that we apply it. When we set it on the table and look at it, that doesn't do us any good. We have to ingest it. We have to make it a part of our lives. We have to bring it within, into us. For he says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father told me, so I speak. Well, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say I never flew off the handle and just said the first thing that popped into my head. Anybody else ever do that? Yeah. I just, bloop, whoops, too late, right? I can't pull it back. I can't put it back. I can't take it away. Jesus said, only the things that the Father's given me to say, those I speak. That's why he could say, when you reject me, what are you rejecting? You're rejecting the word, the truth, the life. You're rejecting all that. As Jesus here on the 10th of Nisan presents himself to the people, right next to all those other lambs come for Passover. So if you reject me, You reject the words that I spoke, and the words that I spoke, they come from the Father. And in them, Jesus said, is everlasting life. We come to John chapter 13. The next almost five chapters is one 24-hour period of time. That's a lot. The next five chapters is, if you look at them, you'll notice almost all the words are red. That's usually a good thing. Jesus is talking. His last words to his disciples. Because he says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The darkness is coming and you're going to go through a difficult time, but don't be afraid. I am with you. And he's still with us. He's still with us today. He'll still be with us tomorrow. And the truth of his word will still be truth. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just we thank you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that your word declares to us 
All these things that we can hold on to, we can grasp, but we can say, man, God, it's true. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the, in the New Testament. We see both coinciding together, yet separated by a thousand years. How does that happen? It happens because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all God-breathed. Yeah, there's, there's 40 different authors, but really there's one author, the Lord. God the Word. Jesus Christ. God, we thank You that Your Word is true. And Father, as we consider today, the Scripture for today, God, may we who are Martha's serve without complaining. May we who are like Lazarus, risen from the dead, for though we were dead in trespasses and sin, He has made us alive together in Him. May we just stand by Jesus being that witness. And those of us who are worshipers, let us worship. Let us fulfill the calling that you've given us. Let us fill this house with the fragrance, that sweet-smelling aroma that always followed the Lamb. Oh, Lord, may we see, may we know, may we recognize the truth of your Word. For on the exact day that you said you would come, you came. And you fulfilled exactly what you said you would do as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As a lamb is silent before his shears, so you open not your mouth. For you bore our iniquity, and by your stripes we are healed. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, God. We believe. Help it become a part of our life. May we ingest your word and may it affect us, not just as words on the page, but as the truth and the one and only way to the Father. Father, we just glorify your name in this place. God, we ask that you would be glorified in our lives throughout this week. May we reflect you. May we smell of your sacrifice. Lord God, equip us to be all that you're calling us to be. And we give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.